Well, as I mentioned, we have a bit of a uh, health theme today. It's an honor to welcome our next guest into studio. Earlier this week, she was named the Kenneth Stark Endowed Chair in Alzheimer's Research at the Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. Dr. Erin Haskup is in studio with us. And Dr. Welcome, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, it is indeed a, a great honor, but for uh, those who are not quite familiar with the term, what does it mean to become an endowed chair? It's really almost the highest academic honor that you can get. And it was such a great pleasure. The Starks actually started the endowment several years ago. So I am the third endowed chair in Alzheimer's research. And what it really allows us to do is um, explore some avenues of research that maybe would have not been funded before and really try to make some progress with Alzheimer's disease research. Uh, a very generous $1.8 million gift from the Stark estate to, to make this happen. Uh, but again, this is also a recognition of the work you've been do doing for a long time in Alzheimer's research as part of the Dale and Deborah Smith Center for Alzheimer's Research and Treatment. So tell me a bit about your background and how you decided to get into this particular line of medical study? Yes, so I am trained in neurodegenerative diseases in general, and what I mean by that is Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, things that affect the brain. And uh, when I came to SIU, I really decided to focus in on Alzheimer's disease because it's such a devastating disease. It affects everyone, and I really wanted to be able to make a difference. The, just the idea of tackling neurological research. The brain is so extraordinarily complex, and despite all of the advances we've made in humankind, it remains largely a mystery, it, it seems. So where do you even begin to try to tackle this, to unlock these mysteries, and to figure out why uh, our brains start to play these kinds of tricks on us? Yeah, for me, it was really figuring out how the brain changes as disease progresses. So there's so many different things that could happen that that might be happening at earlier stages rather than late stages. And so how does that lead to disease progression? Is Are there different areas where we might be able to intervene or try to treat earlier versus later? We're probably looking at different drugs to try to treat those. So, so tell me about the, the Center for Alzheimer's Research. Uh, in a given month or given year, how many clients are you seeing? What sorts of uh, research or treatment or interventions are you engaged in to help those patients? So at the Smith Alzheimer's Center, we're actually part of the neurology department. And our area focuses more on memory and age-related memory disorders, such as Alzheimer's disease. And typically within our Springfield office, we're, we're seeing a few thousand people a year. Uh, and those range the gamut. That doesn't mean they specifically have Alzheimer's disease. As you know, there's different types of dementia. Uh, so we see all of those patients as well. What do uh, dementia patients, uh, this may be too broad a question, but but what do they have in common? Uh, when, when you're looking at common threads as to why someone has started down this path uh, of dementia, uh, is there something in their brain chemistry that is similar in all of these cases? Are there different things that may be triggering it? What have you learned about that? So typically with anything that affects the brain, there are a few neurotransmitters that are involved. And these are neurotransmitters are really how the cells in your brain talk to each other. So once that starts to break down, that's when we start to see the memory issues. But what's kind of amazing about the brain is that, you know, 
it has some resilience, some reserve. So by the time someone has mild cognitive impairment, which is not quite Alzheimer's disease, but it could lead to Alzheimer's disease or other dementias, you already have lost probably about 50% of the neurons in a specific area of the brain that's responsible for learning and memory. Uh, is the research that's happening now here in Springfield, is it focused primarily on people who've been diagnosed with dementia and just helping them live as normal a life as possible? Are you looking at prevention? Are you looking at some of the red flags so that somebody younger, you know, you could say you're on a path toward this 20, 30, 40 years down the road? Is it all of the above? Where where do you start to focus these efforts? So it is, it is kind of all of the above because you want to be able to help people regardless of where they are in disease progression. So on the more bench science, so the earlier research before you're in humans, what we've been focusing on is really trying to figure out early in disease progression what's going on there because you know, if you look throughout history, the earlier you can intervene, the earlier you can diagnose, intervene, the better chance you have at a good outcome. You see it with cancer, for example, right? You catch it early, then you've got a better shot. And so that's what we're really trying to figure out what's going on there so that we can inform the clinic, the doctors that are out there seeing patients, you know, what do you need to do? What can we treat there? And then on our clinical trial side, though, where we're with with patients and their caregivers we're looking at all across the disease stage and the clinical trials are starting to move earlier to try to be able to treat those earlier as well. Talking with Dr. Aaron Haskup, the newly installed Kenneth Stark Endowed Chair in Alzheimer's Research at the SIU School of Medicine. Uh, is there anything that, that you've seen that gives you hope that uh, Alzheimer's and similar types of dementia uh, may be reversible, e even to a degree? Or it, if cognitive function is lost to a degree, is it lost forever? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty tricky question. Um, there's hope that we could slow down disease progression. There's hope that we could stop it. And I think that that's where the focus is right now because that is a bit more attainable. Once we can stop it, then we can take a look at, you know, how can we improve this? But there are things, I mean, if you have uh, mild cognitive impairment, which I mentioned earlier, that doesn't mean that you're going to go down this path, right? And so there are things that you can do, diet and exercise, to improve your chances of not going down and, and possibly increasing your memory. So. If, we, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about that a little bit, just in terms of people who are listening right now in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s. Uh, are there things that will uh, improve their odds of not having this? Uh, and I guess as a prelude to that, do, do you find that most of these dementias, is there a genetic component to it? Is it more environmental factors? What, what are the, the red flags to say you're at real risk for this. Right. So there are genetic factors that play into it, but the vast majority of Alzheimer's cases, dementia cases, are not uh, genetic, not linked to your genes, at least not that we know yet. Um, so we call those sporadic. And so with those especially, and, and even if you are kind of predisposed to be at higher risk for Alzheimer's disease, there's things you can do. Like I mentioned, diet and exercise, anything that's good for your heart is good for your brain. You know, try something new, brain games, travel someplace you've never been before, just to, to have new experiences that really helps reinforce connections in your brain. Uh, I drive my wife kind of crazy 
crazy because I play puzzle games on my phone all the time. Can I tell her that that's just, I'm using cognitive skills and that's going to keep my brain sharper in the long run? Can I get away with that? I think you can get away with that, but what would be even better if you were not doing the same exact game, if you switched up the types of games that you're doing. So then you're getting different sorts of cognitive. It's a different puzzle every level. Does that count? <laughs> okay. But, I, I, no, but I, get, I get what you're saying. But uh, so if you're doing word games one day and puzzle games the next day and Sudoku a third day, things like that, that that's going to help you uh, keep that sharper focus. That's right. Uh, what are some of the, the research projects that are in the works right now or that you're hoping to be able to initiate on the basis of this endowment? Yes. So we have any given day, we have several different projects going on. In the lab right now, we have probably about 10 different projects that we're focusing on. Some of them have to do with um, diabetes and high-fat diet, that how that influences Alzheimer's disease. Some of them are looking across the expanse of disease progression to see how we can intervene. We um, also are hopefully starting up something that's with uh, PTSD. So we're kind of familiar with that, especially in veterans and veterans and specifically those with PTSD actually have a higher increased risk of Alzheimer's disease. And so that's another avenue that we might be exploring with these funds. As people are listening this afternoon uh, and they may have a loved one who is going through this at, at some stage, uh, are there opportunities for the public to participate in some of these clinical trials in the hopes that, you know, maybe it will lead to a breakthrough, lead to a path of slowing or or stopping that disease progression? Absolutely. We offer clinical trials um, at SIU School of Medicine and specifically for Alzheimer's disease within the Smith Alzheimer's Center that people can get involved with. And again, as I said, we try to have things that span disease progression options so that people at different stages can get involved. Some of them also involve caregivers. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity that we have here. You've been working on this for, for a long time and you have now this, this opportunity with the endowment here. How optimistic are you of, of a, a real breakthrough of the sort that I'm sure every researcher in your field dreams about? Yeah, I'm very excited actually in the times that we're in because what we're kind of seeing right now is this great infusion of funds into the Alzheimer's space and the dementia space. This is exactly what happened before with cancer, before cancer was really treatable or curable. And so the more funds that go into it, the more research that can be done, it's not going to happen overnight, but every day we're taking steps and we're getting closer to it. Uh, how prevalent is this in our society? I, I was uh, talking to you off air and, and just, uh, you know, <laughs> full of my bluster saying this is going to affect everybody sooner or later. But is that really, in fact, not the case? I mean, uh, isn't everybody at some point or another going to be touched by this to some degree? It's so Alzheimer's disease is an aging disease. As you age, you're at a greater risk for it. As a population, we're aging, you know? And so that right there increases our risk. The other thing is on the list of top 10 killers in the United States, Alzheimer's disease is the only one that's still increasing in prevalence. Other things on there like cancer, heart disease, you know, they all have treatments and cures. So those are starting to decrease. So the chances that it's going to affect you or a loved one or, a, you know, a close friend is is very realistic right now, which which is scary, but at the same time, the research that we're doing, the funding that we're, we're able to get, the endowments, the other generous gifts from Dale and Deborah Smith and others, you know, really helps infuse this research aspect. So I think that there still can be positivity. 
As people are hearing this and they would like to uh, be more involved in this kind of specialized treatment or possibly to participate in clinical research and things, what's what's the best way to start? Just talk to your primary care physician. Can they reach out directly to the SIU School of Medicine? What's the best path forward? Yeah, I think that they can reach out directly to us. They can call our um, five four five eight thousand number and then they'll be able to get in touch with our research team there or if they're looking for an appointment it's the same number two one seven five four five eight thousand 